0: Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. The uh, leading uh, evolutionist proponent, Dr. Richard Dawkins uh, from Oxford University, has, um, on his uh, talks, uh, mocked the concept of uh, creation uh, by uh, God using the example of uh, the, the human eye and he, he was, the point that he makes is that look, when you look at the structure of the, the eye, it's, it's obviously wired up backwards, um, it's a clumsy way, it's a really clumsy design, it would be a much better design to have uh, it around the other way and so forth and, and this is uh, powerful evidence for blind evolution rather than intelligent design. And this uh, his uh, eye argument has has gained you know quite a bit of uh, media attention at different times and you know been raised in in different talks well it's it's very interesting that um, there's been quite a bit of evidence now that suggests that the eye is actually um This whole concept that Dawkins has of the eye being wired backwards actually comes from a lack of knowledge now that we've discovered more about the function of the eye and and its anatomy. And this, uh, the fact, the the overwhelming evidence that the eye uh, must have been intelligently designed was has been vindicated by a discovery back in 2007 actually that um, there are certain cells which are called the uh, Muller glial cells and these form a fibre optic plate that actually guides the light to the photoreceptors with virtually no distortion of loss. Now, this is actually quite um, uh, an important uh, aspect actually because remember evolutionists believe that um, just random mutations have produced all these structures. Now this fibre optic plate that is that enables this um, uh, light to, um, to travel without distortion again is something we have to believe that random mutations were able to produce this structure that works so perfectly. But there's more because um, some researchers by the name of uh, Dr. Laban and Dr. Ryback at the uh, Technion Israel Institute of Technology in uh, Haifa found that the retina has an amazing structure for improving the sharpness of of images. And what they found was that these uh, Muller cells have a number of extra functions. And one of those functions is that they actually eliminate or remove noise. Now, this is light noise, which is, in, a, in effect, light reflected off other parts of the eye. So as the Comes into the eye from outside. It can be reflected off the other structures in the eye, and this can cause um, additional, you know, a light that can interfere with the sharpness of the of the image. And so, what they found was these cells, in a way, they actually reduce and eliminate and take that reflected light from inside. Um, the eye and actually separate it from what the actual focused uh, light information should is. The other thing that they do is that through this process they actually reduce what is called chromatic aberration and this is the effect where different wavelengths of light are refracted or bent differently uh, by a lens. So and, and, and the classic example of this is a rainbow. So when we look at a, a rainbow and we see all the different colours, now we know when we look at, at sunlight it's this white or slightly yellowish perhaps colour, but it's essentially what we call white light. And it's made up of all the different colours. So when we're looking at white light, it's made up of all the different coloured lights uh, wavelengths of light produce what we call white light and so what happens is that white light from the sun as it passes through a uh, the droplets of water as they're falling as rain those droplets as the light passes through the water the Light travels at a slightly different speed, slowed down by the uh, water. And it's, um, the different wavelengths then um, pass through and, and actually separate out. And that's how we can see the slightly different colours of the wavelengths of, of light. So this is, um, of course, can distort an image if that if that happens because where you you see how wide a, a rainbow is and so you don't want that sort of distortion and so it's very fascinating that these Mueller cells again as the light passes through we don't get that separation of colors that can occur the other thing that it uh, that these cells do is that they also tune out some of the non-visible wavelengths that are actually damaging to the eyes. And so they reduce um, some of the radiation damage. It doesn't mean that we can look at the sun and so forth, and ultraviolet light will still you know, damage the eye very badly. But um, they do reduce some of that scattered ultraviolet light that is being uh, reflected off and thereby reduce the damage. And thereby they sharpen the image. And so that enables us with our eyes to see very, very sharp images of things. And really when we think that this system, this design, the amazing design of these cells, which are, you know, quite complicated in their actual molecular structure, uh, is just so evident. so much, in my view, evidence of design. And yet, of course, from an evolutionary point of view, the um, evolutionists have to uh, sort of believe that random mutations to a code made up of four chemical bases that we assign the letters ACT and G to that changes to the order in which these bases are arranged in the code can lead to the, um, the code reading out the instructions to produce the proteins and so forth to make up this particular structure, all by chance, that works so perfectly. I mean, when we look at the maths of this, when we look at the biochemistry, it's absolutely impossible. And the fact that this system works just so well also, you know, sort of points to a creator. And it also illustrates, too, how we can have a learned scientist like Dr. Richard Dawkins who can be so blinded by his belief in evolution that... He doesn't recognise this this overwhelming evidence for design, and he's forced and 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 accuses the design of the eye of being poor, and but really it was as a result of the lack of understanding of the important functions that an eye has to perform in order to produce a very sharp image. The other thing that came out from the research um, done at the Technicon Israel Institute of Technology in uh, Haifa uh, was that um, this new understanding of the role of the muller cells might um, have applications in improving the success of eye transplants and also um, in better camera designs as well um, and so this uh, so-called bad design turns out to be an optimal structure um for the and an inspiration for uh, superior cameras so um if you're interested in reading up uh, um, about that um There was an article on this published in Physical Review Letters, uh, volume 104, number 16, in April 2010. Um, And um, there was also uh, one perhaps a little bit more accessible in New Scientist on the 8th of May um, 2010, um, page uh, 2759. Yeah, so really fascinating. Now, well, while we're on eyes, I mean, there's not just human eyes, of course. There's all sorts of different animal eyes. And one of the other thing, one of the other research areas that's been inspired by eye design is, is moth eyes because moth eyes have a particularly uh, interesting anti-reflective surface. So, um we all know that reflected glare is a problem for viewers when you're using a display screen on your iPad or on your computer. And it's also a problem for solar cells generating um, electricity because light that's reflected uh, isn't going to be converted into electrical energy. Um, and so dealing with this issue has is, is been quite challenging Now, again, one of these things that has come out, researchers have noted that although moths see well at night, their eyes don't shine in light, meaning that they are harder for predators to see. Now, this is because the the moths have a a special orderly array, we could say they're orderly, of tiny bumps or little... um, Little protrusions on the surface of their eye. Now, they're smaller than these little protrusions are actually smaller than the wavelengths of visible light. And what happens is, they deflect and absorb light rather than reflect it, much like a, a, a rippled foam on the walls of uh, soundproof rooms um, helps absorb the sound rather than reflect it. And um, it's interesting, some uh, researchers at some uh, American universities have found um, a way to mimic this moth-eye structure for solar cells. Um, And so um, they're actually been doing quite a bit of study of the surface of moth eyes um, to improve the efficiency of solar cells. And uh, one of the things that they've found is that by using this technique on the surface of the solar cells, it's, the process is much cheaper than the usual anti-glare uh, coatings because they, they, they're just using a suspension of nanoparticles. So, um, and they've found that um, with uh, one of the uh, university groups have found that uh, the, uh, and they've looked at different nanoparticle patterns to improve the uh, efficiency and they've found that um, the reflection off the solar cells, which is typically 30 to 40 percent, of the light hitting the solar cell is reflected. Um, they've been able to cut the reduce the amount of reflection back down to two percent. So it's a huge increase in efficiency. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't been quite as easy for the uh, TV uh, screens, and um, but they're still working uh, on 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 this. Um, Uh, sort of research. But it just shows you again that here we find in nature some everywhere we look, it seems everywhere we look we see purpose in the design. Now if nature all the things around us was truly the result of just random mutations, we would expect a whole lot of structures that were literally just random and hence useless, hanging off things. Uh, things that, um, you know, just, yeah, they didn't work so efficiently. But all these things work so efficiently. And the other thing is when we, when we look at fossils, they all seem to be fully formed creatures, uh, I went uh, walking just last week, and it was in- interesting. High on the top of this hill, there were these really hard um, boulders embedded in the in the rock or in the ground. And when we were looking more closely, wow! All these um, seashell fossils were uh, quite well preserved, but in this very very hard sandstone, it was it was very it had been very resistant to weathering. Um, uh, here, you know, quite on the top of uh, a hill, about 1,000 uh, feet above sea level, current sea level. Um, but again, you saw the, the evidence of, of design. So in all, all these fossils, um, we, we find this, this evidence of design down to the minute detail And again, the evolution theory claims that all these amazing designs of all these amazing systems that work, and we know eyes are truly amazing uh, systems. Um, You know, I I, um, have closed angle glaucoma and um, I'm very appreciative of the, you know, the um, drops that I can put in my eye that enable me to still be able to see. And as we look at the structures in the eye, and so many structures are involved in maintaining the eye, and the pressure in the eye, and the focus in the eye, and little muscles, and the blood vessels that go to those muscles. And uh, so forth, the you know fibre optic that takes light to the pineal gland uh, to help regulate a whole lot of our biochemical systems, that a little op- um, optic uh, fibre, a uh, little uh, hollow optic tube that actually physically takes the light energy to the pineal gland, which in terms helps regulate a whole lot of our hormones that control a whole lot of our... Physical functions such as blood pressure and blood sugar, uh, and our sleep cycles, and, and so forth, and again, for you know when, when you think of this system, you've got to have random mutations have got to produce the uh, the code for the ribosome to be able to make the proteins, and the cell assemble them to make this little tube so that it grows in just the right place, just the right length, just the right location to take the light from the eye to the pineal gland. And to believe that these these structures arose by chance, you know, to me just stands because, you know, it's just not one structure. Our body is full of not thousands, not tens of thousands but hundreds of thousands of similar little structures or biochemical reactions that are involved in chemical reactions. You know that's why textbooks on these specialist areas are are thick books and they'll cover just one particular area you know in the area of ophthalmology or something like that and we know that um, people spend years training and learning about uh, what is happening there and yet We're being taught, our young people are being taught, no, all this, you know, just um, evolved. It just happened by chance. To me, it just seems so wrong. And I think the other thing that is overlooked is that the modern science that has enabled Western civilisation in particular to lead in these areas, um, uh, at least up until recently, um, you know, scientific research was born in Christian, in the Christian Western philosophy uh, area, um, and there's so much resistance now to wanting to study. You know, the Christian Western philosophy, and the uh, and the young people again are being denied this knowledge of the Christian worldview, and in in particular, the the. Leading scientists that laid the foundations of modern science uh, had a plain understanding of scripture, of Adam's fall and um, creation, and of course believing in God and that God had designed everything led to so many, you know, developments. So, I was reading an article just through the the week on um, James Clerk Maxwell, and. As article in Psylopedia Botanica and then I was reading some uh, uh, material on Wikipedia and he was an amazing scientist, James Clark, spelled C-L-E-R-K, Maxwell. If you want to look him up, I mean, he's, he's one of my heroes in, in science. He probably contributed more to 20th century science than any other scientist And people talk about Newton, people talk about Einstein, people talk about Darwin. But if you look at the areas that Maxwell worked in, from uh, electromagnetic field theory through to kinetic theory, just about every area of major uh, areas of the physical sciences, Maxwell contributed major breakthroughs in our understanding and particularly in understanding the mathematics underpinning science so that we could understand the laws that uh, and elucidating the laws and mathematical equations that re-related the energy fields and so forth associated with so much phenomena that we observe in nature. And in these articles, there was hardly mention that Maxwell was a very strong Christian and was a creationist and was an anti-Darwinist and argued very powerfully against the logic of the Darwinian theory. And that is just left out. Um, and I guess students aren't taught that. They're not taught that aspect, but that was a big part of his life. And I think my view is that God um, you know, blessed him because of his strong faith Um, his strong faith in the Bible account and believing in God God rewarded him with uh, the ability to see and understand and make these tremendous uh, breakthroughs. You know someone once uh, said to Einstein you know I guess you, you you know you're standing on the shoulders of Newton and Einstein said no I'm standing on the shoulders of Maxwell and that's what Einstein did. Einstein extended Mackwell's field theories into gravity. That's, and, we, you know, Einstein gets a lot of uh, press there. But, of course, Newton was another great, you know, Bible believer and Bible scholar and, and actually wrote more on the prophecies of the Bible um, than he did actually on, on science. And um, I've read his uh, commentaries on Daniel and Revelation uh, which, of course, have you know so many of the prophecies, and this is a this is another thing too that you know the young people perhaps aren't being taught in schools today that the Bible has a number of prophecies that were fulfilled highly accurately and way ahead of time, and these are these are global prophecies they refer to what will happen with particular nations, what will happen with particular countries, what was going to happen when the Messiah or Jesus came, what would happen to him, and, and about the second coming of, of Christ, which hasn't happened yet, of course. But because all these other prophecies have been fulfilled exactly as they were laid out, we can have this huge confidence in the prophecy that Jesus is going to return. And when he returns... He will destroy all evil and those people that have made the choice, they want to be good, they, they hate the bad things that they're doing, they want to be a good person and that's what accepting Jesus as our Saviour is and going to God and wanting to be uh, forgiven for the things that we've done wrong and wanting God to change us so we don't do wrong things anymore like being selfish and telling lies, these sort of things, then those people... God will come and he is going to save those, re- recreate them in a way uh, so that they don't have bodies that are decaying where their biochemistry is going to fail. And I, I think that, you know, students today, and this, this particularly irks me too, as they learn about Newton, learn about Newton's source, they should also be learning about the Bible prophecies that Newton wrote about. And uh, this is why um, I've been uh, reading uh, the book uh, by uh, John Lennox, the uh, mathematician at Oxford, um, against the flow, uh, where he deals with um, in modern day the the prophecies of uh, in Daniel, and of course you know John Lennox, he's a guy with three doctorates, he has both a PhD, well he has a PhD. Um, a a Doctor of Philosophy, a DPhil, and then a Doctor of Science, which is the higher degree than the Doctor of Philosophy degree in in mathematics. So he's a brilliant mathematician. He's brilliant at logic, at understanding these um, things. And in his book, Against the Flow, um, he talks about the prophecies of Daniel. And one of the things he points out is that our society today... With its secularism, has become like the pagan city of Babylon, and that uh, Christians today need to be like Daniel, and uh, point out the the errors of the uh, the way of um, this the way society is um, is going today, as it takes God out of the education system. The consequences, uh, whereas, oh, and we're going to see them worse, but the consequences are going to be dire. We, we see the evidence that people have, are just losing wisdom, the ability to make really sensible decisions. And we have these you know crazy theories uh, coming up like the, the theory of evolution. When we think of the eyes, to me... Uh, We all have eyes and to me it's just powerful evidence that there is that supernatural uh, creator. Of course, more information um, about that can be found in those science articles that I uh, referred to earlier Uh, or if you go to creation.com, just Google creation.com, And on uh, their website there, they have a lot of really good articles. There's search engines there. And um, remember also, there's my books, um, Evolution Impossible, 12 Reasons Why Evolution Cannot Explain the Origin of Life on Earth. Um, There's also my book uh, where I wrote to scientists, leading scientists with doctorates and asked them why they uh, believe in creation and they explain why. That book, In Six Days Why 50 Science Believe in Creation, is um, uh, also available as well. Remember, too, if you want to re listen to these programs, just um, uh, Google 3abn Australia or one word.org.au and click on the listen button. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day.